A 27-year-old woman with a history of fibromyalgia has trouble with sleep. She doesn't know why, but it started a few months ago. She tosses and turns for hours, unable to get to sleep, before finally falling asleep at 1 a.m., exhausted, only to wake up intermittently throughout the night. She feels tired all day as a result. She isn't able to focus at work and feels too tired to hang out with her friends in the evenings. She feels like she was trying everything. She drinks coffee during the day to stay awake, tries to force herself to go to bed early, and even drinks a glass of wine at night, just hoping that it'll help her fall asleep. Nothing seems to help, and her problem just seems to be getting worse. So this is when she finally decided to seek help, when she realized that her chronic pain from fibromyalgia had significantly worsened after a month of poor sleep. So why is her pain getting worse? Why can't she sleep? And what can we do to help her? Welcome to The Hurt by Dr. Mira Kirpaker and Dr. Alopi Patel. We are the female pain docs. This is a platform to contribute to the public discourse on women's pain and general health. We are here to empower women and men to engage in the advancement of their health with discussions of evidence-based medicine, unconventional topics, lifestyle modifications, and more. The views contained in this podcast are our personal views and do not represent the views of our institutions. This does not substitute medical advice. Please be evaluated by a physician if necessary. Welcome back to The Hurt by the Female Pain Docs, Season 2. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about restorative sleep. You know, it's so interesting that we're talking about this today because both of us have experienced just that awful sleep patterns in the past. <laughs> I know. So I'm thinking back to residency with all of the overnight calls and night shifts. My sleep patterns were completely messed up. Coming off of an overnight call and going to bed during the day after being awake for like 28 hours and then doing that multiple times a month, it's just brutal. I honestly felt like I was jet lagged for a couple of days after every single call. I completely know what you're talking about, and we know how much poor sleep can actually affect our overall health. There are numerous studies that talk about the increased risk for diabetes, heart disease, high blood pressure, weight gain, low sex drive, memory, concentration, increased risk of accidents, and so much more, just to name a few. But in today's episode, we're going to focus on how poor sleep affects pain. Now, this may come as a surprise because we often don't think about how our own lifestyles may be affecting pain, whether that's something that's in your control or not, but your lifestyle factors play a huge role in how your body perceives pain. So today we're going to talk about how and why and what to do about poor sleep and its effect on chronic pain. Now, we won't get into all the different sleep disorders or causes because that's a whole separate branch of medicine dedicated to studying sleep. But what we will focus on are the links to pain. So let's get started. Did you know that a third of adults and two-thirds of chronic pain patients suffer from poor sleep? In fact, there's something called the chronic pain triad, which is basically a triad of pain, depression, and sleep disturbances. And each of those entities feeds into each other. So pain leads to poor sleep, which can lead to depression. Poor sleep leads to pain, which can lead to depression. And depression can lead to poor sleep, which can lead to pain. So let's quickly talk about what we mean by poor sleep. 
Poor sleep or insomnia is a common sleep disorder that can make it hard to fall asleep, hard to stay asleep, cause you to wake up too early and not be able to get back to sleep, or just overall have a poor quality of sleep. And chronic insomnia is when poor sleep lasts for more than a month. So like our patient with fibromyalgia. So what's the ideal kind of sleep you need so you can feel your best? Great question. Well, for most adults, it's seven to nine hours of sleep per night, but it really does vary based on each person and what stage of life they're in. So if they're a child, adult, or elderly. So it's not really just the exact number of hours per night, but more that you have three to four full REM cycles in the night. REM sleep is rapid eye movement sleep, where your brain is active, you often dream vividly, and the areas of your brain that are important for learning are stimulated. Now, too much sleep can be a bad thing too. Sleeping for more than nine hours a night, for example, can lead to cardiac issues, diabetes, worsening pain, and more. So why does poor sleep affect pain at all? Let's look at the link between poor sleep and worse pain a little bit closer. Multiple studies have shown that short sleep times, poor sleep quality, and interrupted sleep can cause an increase in sensitivity to pain, also known as hyperalgesia. Why is this? Well, according to research done on fibromyalgia patients, sleep deprivation both impairs the pathways in your brain that typically control pain and also increase inflammation in the body. In a study for every one hour of sleep less from that usual seven to nine hours of ideal sleep that you get per night, there was actually a nine to 12% increase in the release of inflammatory cytokines in the body. And this inflammation just worsens pain. So your pain is worse due to worsening inflammation and your perception of pain is worse where you have much more sensitivity to pain overall. And when you throw in that last factor of the triad with, for example, depression, that combination of depression and poor sleep can make the pain feel completely out of control. Absolutely. And that was a lot. That's a pretty complex process that we just mentioned. So let's get into some causes of poor sleep and what we can do to improve our sleep. So honestly, there are so many reasons for why you may have insomnia. But let's take a look at the ones that are linked to chronic pain. So anxiety and depression, stress, environmental factors, genetics, and hormones. So let's start with talking about hormones because that's something that plays a huge role in both sleep and pain, and a topic that we explored in our first episode of this season. So we know that there are differences between the genders. So overall data has shown that women have shorter circadian rhythms, which causes us to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier than men. Our circadian rhythm is that 24-hour internal clock that exists in all of us. And what it does is it regulates our you know, cognition, our kind of mental abilities, our metabolism, our sleeping and waking times, and much more. So women actually have longer total sleep times, less total wake times, and better sleep efficiency than men. But women also have about a 40% higher risk for insomnia than men. So sleep patterns for boys and girls are the same until puberty, but once puberty hits, for women, there are big changes in hormones that basically make getting good sleep for us that much more difficult. So now let's talk about menstruation. So in the week prior to your period, progesterone rises in your body in preparation for pregnancy. If pregnancy doesn't happen, 
progesterone falls again right before you start your period. So in that time, with that progesterone drop, also known as PMS or the premenstrual period, it's difficult to get good quality sleep. And for women, this happens every single month. For women with PCOS who can have irregular periods and a baseline higher level of testosterone and lower levels of progesterone, the sleep difficulties are even worse. And they can have a higher risk of developing sleep apnea, which is where you have periods of not breathing properly at night, where you kind of wake up gasping for air and end up feeling really tired during the day from that poor sleep. So with all of that, how can you combat this? So working out during those PMS days has been shown to be helpful because you're more tired, so you sleep better at night. Avoiding caffeine and nicotine also helps. And we'll talk more about better sleep tips in a little bit, but Dr. P, I'm going to turn it to you for a second. So now let's talk about pregnancy. In the first trimester, progesterone rises dramatically to keep the uterus muscles relaxed and boost the immune system. Estrogen rises dramatically too, and a woman actually produces more estrogen in one pregnancy than in her whole life otherwise. And because of this huge rise in progesterone, women are sleepier in the first 12 weeks, and I can attest to that. And by the third trimester, the levels of estrogen and progesterone level out. And by then, you have conditions like restless leg syndrome, needing to urinate frequently, difficulty breathing due to the pressure from the uterus, all of which make it harder to get a good night's rest. I definitely experienced many of these during my pregnancy. And what can we actually do about it? So here are a few tips to help get comfortable and help you sleep basically during pregnancy. So one is to keep your head elevated to reduce snoring and heartburn. You can also try relaxation techniques such as meditation and even cognitive behavioral therapy to improve sleep. And these don't have to cost you a pretty penny. You can simply find them on YouTube by searching sleep meditation. And another trick is having a dark room with blackout curtains. And another tip, which I actually learned from my baby was white noise. White noise is basically a sound that is consistently played at the same intensity level and can mask other sounds. And white noise can come in many different forms, including rain falling or static noise, or even the laundry machine running. These sounds effectively help filter out loud noises, such as construction or even otherwise regular noises if you're a light sleeper and you tend to wake up from these noises. So either way, these tend to drown out those noises. And ever since we started using a white noise machine for my daughter, my husband and I now also use white noise for ourselves. There are several apps for this and even long YouTube playlists depending on which sounds help soothe you. For us, it was the sound of rain falling, but do check out the various sounds and see what works best for you. So now, as we've highlighted before, hormones change through a woman's life. So let's finally talk about menopause. So here, progesterone levels drop because the body doesn't need to prepare for pregnancy. You also have huge fluctuations in your hormones, which cause hot flashes and night sweats that wake up the brain throughout the night, again, making it hard to sleep. So some research even suggests that estrogen and progesterone can be protective against sleep apnea. So with menopause, this factor is eliminated, so older women are just as likely to get OSA, or obstructive sleep apnea, as men. Additionally, 
During menopause, women spend less time in REM sleep, again, that type of sleep that's good for you, so they wake up feeling less well-rested overall. So we do have a few tips to help deal with this. For one, estrogen replacement therapy can help with sleep. You can also try eating soy-rich foods because soy has phytoestrogen, which mimics estrogen in your own body. And then, of course, avoid eating spicy foods as those are definitely triggers for hot flashes and wear loose and lightweight clothing, basically to combat the night sweats from waking you up. Now, for men, when it comes to testosterone, which helps with sleep, as you age, testosterone decreases, but there aren't fluctuations, just kind of a steady decline, which is why sleep quality can worsen as you age because of those lowering levels of testosterone. And these are just the gonadal or the sex hormones, but there are other hormones involved as well. So for one, cortisol. Cortisol is your stress hormone, which is a type of steroid, and it's responsible for regulating metabolism, controlling your blood sugar levels, reducing inflammation in your body, and improving memory. But when cortisol gets too high, it leads to high blood sugar and diabetes, mood swings, weight gain, anxiety, depression, and poor sleep. So with chronic pain, pain stimulates the HPA axis, which is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which causes more release of cortisol, which can throw off your circadian rhythm, ultimately leading to poor sleep. And along with cortisol, we also have to watch out for insulin. Now we said cortisol can lead to an increase in blood sugar, but this can Also encourage late night eating habits, which release an excess of insulin, causing blood sugars levels to fluctuate throughout the night and high blood sugar levels that can also lead to restless sleep. So what can you do? Well, you can start by paying more attention to what you're doing during the daytime. Spending time outside and getting more activity and sunlight will help you feel sleepier at night. Having a bedtime routine with a nice, peaceful environment maybe one where you can even try to meditate, may also help. And I meditate myself, and I find it to be incredibly helpful to be happier and well-rested. I personally use the Peloton app. The sleep meditation classes are great. But you can also use YouTube, like I mentioned earlier. And the reason meditation helps is because it overall activates the parasympathetic nervous system to lower your heart rate, your blood pressure, as well as how fast you're breathing to help your heart and lung system get rest and also make you feel relaxed enough to sleep well. Absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned spending more time outside. So why outside? Well, vitamin D. So we mentioned fibromyalgia with our patient. Now, lower vitamin D levels have been correlated with pain syndromes like fibromyalgia, rheumatoid arthritis, and more. So basically, low vitamin D levels have been associated with hyperalgesia, which is that increase in pain sensitivity that we talked about earlier. So spending time outside will raise your vitamin D levels, making you less sensitive to pain and improving your sleep. Now moving on to melatonin. Now this is another big one because that's often what we think about when we think about a pill to help you sleep, right? But melatonin is actually a hormone produced in our bodies to regulate our sleep cycles. So, to break it down, melatonin rises one to two hours before bedtime, telling our bodies that, hey, we need to go to bed. So why don't we? Well, the Industrial Revolution has changed our sleep. 
So the main source of photon-filled light, aka blue light, which was the sun, but then Thomas Edison happened and changed our lives in 1879 with the invention of the light bulb. So now we don't have to rely on the sun waking us up and the dark putting us to sleep anymore. So we can stay up as long as we want. And then came TVs, computers, and phones, basically all sources of blue light. So what do we do at night when we're tossing and turning and can't get to sleep? We look at our phones. And what does that do? Well, that suppresses melatonin, telling our bodies to keep staying awake. And in fact, a study found that people who use devices like phones and iPads had more disrupted sleep compared with people that read physical books due to that blue light, which suppresses melatonin, leading to shorter REM sleep. And I've definitely noticed this for myself. I love to read and I buy so many books because I love reading actual physical books. I like the smell of the book, being able to like flip through pages. And I've noticed that when I read physical books at night, I fall asleep much faster than when I'm looking at my phone. But melatonin does more than help you fall asleep. It's also really important in pain too. So studies have shown that melatonin actually stimulates pain pathways to decrease inflammatory and nerve-related pain in the body, basically to decrease inflammation. And sometimes melatonin is actually used as a pain treatment. So those rising levels of melatonin late at night, they're really important to regulate sleep, but also pain. So what can you do to make sure that you're not suppressing your body's natural melatonin? So for one, you want to switch to warmer, dimmer modes on your devices. Put your phone on do not disturb mode. And if you're going to use your phone, maybe use it to listen to relaxing music or like a sleep app. And finally, this can't be stressed enough, don't look at social media. So when you look at social media and you see that your latest Instagram post is getting likes, uh, you're looking at content that you're really excited by, it stimulates the release of dopamine in your brain, which is a neurotransmitter that makes you feel happy. And then this constant reward system can make it hard to get off of social media and go to bed. You are absolutely right. And I'm sure many of us have encountered that. So while we're talking about hormones, we know that they play huge roles in your sleep cycles. But what about genetics? Is there a link between your genes and sleep? The largest study to date from Amsterdam looked at genomes from 1.3 million people and identified that 956 genes were linked to insomnia. And another study from Massachusetts General Hospital looked at 450,000 genomes and identified 236 genes linked to insomnia. Now, when looking at two of these studies, there was overlap between the genes. And in fact, the genes for depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, coronary artery disease, and diabetes, and the genes for insomnia were correlated. And this implied that at a genetic level, there's probably a link between the genes for many psychiatric diseases, as well as insomnia. I mean, I found that those studies just so interesting. So now there are obviously factors you can't control, like your genetics that we just mentioned, and some of your hormones. But what about factors you can control? So let's talk about lifestyle choices. Now we've already mentioned, you know, a bunch of lifestyle choices that can make a difference. We touched on decreasing phone use at night, exercising, and the importance of meditation and relaxation. But what about substances? So for example, caffeine. Now, most of us love coffee, and we do mention coffee in other episodes as well. 
but I know that if I drink it later in the day, I won't be able to sleep. So on any given day, 85% of Americans use caffeine products of some sort. Now, a normal dose of caffeine should be 50 to 200 milligrams. But in America, the daily average consumption of caffeine is 300 milligrams per person, which is three times higher than the rest of the world or most of the rest of the world. So when you drink coffee, the caffeine reaches peak levels in your body in about 30 to 60 minutes, but then stays in your body for three to five hours. So consuming coffee even six hours before going to bed has been shown to decrease sleep by an hour, which is huge because going back to that decrease in sleep by one hour, that increases inflammation by 9 to 12% in your body. So if you are going to drink coffee, your cutoff time should ideally be 5 p.m. or earlier and make sure to watch how many actual milligrams of caffeine you're consuming in a day. So what about smoking and alcohol? A study showed that the amount of alcohol consumed was correlated with sleep quality. Even low amounts of alcohol, meaning less than two servings for men and one serving for women, decrease sleep quality by 9.3%. And higher amounts of alcohol, so more than two servings for men and more than one serving for women, decrease sleep quality by 39.2%. So you may feel like drinking alcohol is actually making you sleepy, but the actual quality of sleep that you're getting is poor quality sleep. And sleep that leads to a more snoring and sleep apnea sort of sleep as well. And this suppresses REM sleep that you need to really feel restored the next morning. So if you're going to drink and you think that's going to help with your sleep, finish the alcohol at least two hours before sleeping. And another risky substance attributed to poor sleep is nicotine. So studies have shown that nicotine worsens both sleep and pain. Smoking can lead to poor sleep, just like alcohol, and also leads to constriction of vessels in your body, which decreases blood supply to your organs and your tissues. That decrease in blood supply leads to oxygen not being delivered to all your tissues effectively, and that lack of proper oxygenation can worsen pain. So again, this is a vicious cycle as many people use nicotine as a form of stress relief not realizing that it's often worsening their pain. And honestly, the same goes for opioids. So opioids should be used with caution too, because even one dose of opioids can lead to disrupted sleep and difficulty entering sleep. Now, what about sleeping pills? So this is a pretty you know, hot topic, right? Because there are so many sleeping pills on the market that are all guaranteeing that you get a great night of sleep. But is it really good sleep that you're getting? So according to the American Sleep Foundation, one-third of Americans sleep less than seven hours per night, and only 20% have tried a natural sleep remedy in the past year. Now, these are not FDA-approved sleep aids and can be sold as dietary supplements, so you have no idea what ingredients are in the pills and whether they could even cause you harm. So this is definitely something you should bring up with your doctor. And then there are the prescription sleeping pills. So studies have shown that in the U.S., the percentage of adults using prescription sleep aids increased with age and education, and more adult women were using them than adult men. So while they may help sleep in the short term, sleeping pills actually can lead to poor sleep in the long term, causing shorter REM cycles or completely even skipping REM cycles. And they can also have a lot of side effects, including dependence on the drug, So these medications are definitely ones that need to be used with a lot of caution. And another class of medications 
you should also think about are antihistamines. So Benadryl, for example. So while they can be used for sleep, you can develop tolerance to the medication pretty quickly, making it not very useful in the long term. And finally, let's talk about melatonin again for a second. So we mentioned melatonin as a natural hormone in your body, but what about melatonin for sleep, like what you can get over the counter? So when I browse the aisle at just, you know, my local pharmacy, the doses I was seeing for the melatonin tablets that were being sold were about three milligram tablets and sometimes even higher that were supposed to be taken to bedtime. But the actual dose you need to sleep is actually 0.3 milligrams because that's what actually mimics your body's natural melatonin. So it's like 10 times lower. So those higher doses of three milligrams, five milligrams, 10 milligrams, they can actually disrupt your circadian rhythm and cause daytime sleepiness, ultimately causing poor sleep. So you really need to be careful of the kind of dose you are taking of melatonin. I'm so happy you mentioned that because I have seen patients encounter that before. So now let's talk about naps. So there are some extremists who take 20 minutes naps every four hours. So that's six naps a day for a total of two hours of sleep per day. But that doesn't really reflect the rest of the population because these people do think that this gives them an extra 20 years of productivity. Now, I don't know about you, but most people in the world can't sustain something like this. But what about a simple midday nap? Our bodies naturally experience a low halfway through the workday. Well, you just want to take that nap. And this is fine. As long as the nap is no more than 30 minutes or one REM cycle, you're okay. And more than that, you can actually risk not being able to sleep at night. So when used appropriately, naps can actually be highly energizing without compromising your sleep quality at night. Exactly. So lastly, let's focus on cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT. Now, this is therapy that can be used for all kinds of conditions, including pain. And I absolutely send patients to CBT for chronic pain, as it has been shown to be really effective. But you can also use it for insomnia and has been shown to be effective in 70 to 80% of patients. So CBT for insomnia is provided to people with chronic pain to treat both the pain and the insomnia and includes education, sleep restriction measures so you don't oversleep, stimulus control instructions where you can help control your environment to make it more you know, conducive to sleeping, sleep hygiene where you practice good sleep practices, and cognitive therapy. So, you know, it's really important to have a bedtime routine where you're shutting off all the other outside world disturbances so you can sleep. And honestly, it can be really hard to achieve that when you suffer from chronic pain. Why is that? Well, think about it. When you shut off all of your distractions, it can make the pain seem louder to you where that's all you can focus on, which makes it hard to go to sleep. But it's not the actual pain that's getting worse here. It's the perception of pain that's getting worse. So CBT can be really helpful to get that under control, basically get under control your negative thoughts and make that pain seem less, quote unquote, loud. And that's what ultimately helped the patient we started off this episode with, the fibromyalgia patient. That's what helped get her pain and insomnia under better control. It was really cognitive behavioral therapy. Absolutely. So we've covered a lot in this episode, and we really hope that it helped. Some final sleep tips for you guys. Let's start your night by winding down 
at an hour or two before bedtime. By dimming the lights, your melatonin can start to kick in, get some exercise and spend some time during the day outside during the day to help you feel sleepy at night and decrease your perception of pain. Try meditation to help you calm down. Don't force yourself to go to bed at night, but rather make sure to get up at the same time every morning. This will help your body regain its natural sleep-wake rhythm. And think about how your hormone fluctuations, pain levels, stress, depression, and anxiety may be worsening your sleep and ultimately your pain as well. So definitely speak to your physician and seek help early. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode, and we'll see you next week for another episode of The Hurt Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts. Visit our Instagram at thefemalepaindocs for more content. Send us an email at thefemalepaindocs at gmail if you have any topics in particular you would like us to discuss. You can also visit our website at www.thefemalepaindocs.com. See you next time.